You know, you talk about big events. So what? Why did October? Why did we finally have a, the, you know, the crack with all the volatility? Well, October third, I believe, was when Fed Chairman Powell made those comments. In October fourth, Vice President Pence had some really tough words about China. Those two things back to back. You know, was it one or the other? But those are two big highlights, I think, in October that really led to a lot of that sell-off and a lot of that volatility, both of those things hitting back-to-back early in the month. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Good morning, Ryan. Hey, John. Good morning. How you doing? I'm great. Thanks. How are you? Hanging in there. It was was an interesting weekend. I know we're going to talk about it, but it was uh, not a lot of sleep in the Dietrich household. Yeah, and why is that? A little birthday party, I think you talked <laughs> it, about? It sure was. My daughter, Susanna, turns 11, actually, the day after midterms, November 7th, but we had her party this weekend. So let's see, there were four girls and her, and my wife took them all to dinner. Um, fortunately, I got out of that. It was just a girl thing. Then they came back and had a big sleepover, destroyed the We paid money to have the house clean. They just destroyed it, but they're up till – they wanted to see the clocks change. As you know, this was the hour change. Is that right? And they actually – I think they stayed up till 2. One of them did and saw the clock go backwards, so – Anyway, they had a lot of fun, so uh, I, well, I took a nap much. yesterday. Let's leave it at that on Sunday. That's a bit <laughs> much. Uh, four young ladies, 11 years old, I think you said, right? 10 yeah, 11. 10, 11, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did that about 12 years ago, and uh, I know full well that four young ladies in middle school can sound like eight or 12. They're you know, loud. After, I'll just say that. sugar, I'd yes. take them out for ice cream after <laughs> dinner, right? Yes, they, they had good dessert, and they're, they just, they're just loud and excited, but it, that's what it's about. It was fun. Well, you'll be glad to know it was nice and quiet, and the Lynch's empty nest this weekend, so I slept <laughs> soundly all night, each night, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and uh, we went out to the Panthers game yesterday, and I, I think... The Carolinas have year? a football team again. Yeah, they looked real good. Yeah, no, they did. I mean, the I'm a Bengal fan. So my Bengals played Tampa Bay last week, and they did beat them. But you know, uh, you got that's who obviously Carolina played with Tampa Bay again. They looked uh, they looked pretty solid. We're sorry to our listeners in Tampa Bay area because it looks like uh, our teams have been beating up on them lately. But <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Well, today on the podcast, we'd like to discuss obviously uh, the recent recovery in stocks last week. We saw a pretty good move. Um, Clearly, tomorrow's midterm elections, uh, we should talk about potential implications. And I want to emphasize that Ryan and I will have a a special podcast uh, uh, next week on the election outcome. And finally, we have to get down to fundamentals, whether looking at wages. We saw a couple of different reports last week, wages and productivity, employment cost index, and really how wages should continue to be a primary driver as to the direction of, of Fed policy going forward. So, Ryan, why don't we just get started and talk about last week's markets? Kind of uh, got a little slow there one day, and then uh, we started to rally. Well, we finally bounced. And, John, obviously we do this here in Fort Mill in our studio, and I like the, I was joking. I was on CNBC at 1.30 on Tuesday. If you look at the lows and when the market started the rally, it sure enough happened right about when I went on TV. So Is that right? Yeah, yeah. it's can, t- totally can random. Can we chart that? <laughs> totally random. But, Were people actually oh, listening to you, or was the volume uh, down? <laughs> well, CNBC is probably on mute, but that's all right. I can, I can live with it. Um, that's all right. <laughs> but, no, you're right. We finally had a bounce, right? We had three consecutive 1% gains Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday on the S&P. It ended up being the best weekly returns for the S&P going back almost six months. So as we said, it was a rough month, right? October was on pace to be in one of the, well, it was one of the worst months we've seen in years, but it, without that late month bounce, it even could have been worse. But we finally got a little bit of a bounce. What do you think? So we had three 1% gains. We went through in a row. The, in mm-hmm. a row. Uh, we went through the entire month of October 
without a back-to-back gain, correct? Yeah, it actually the last two days we got one. It took to the last two days until, of the month, so I guess that's October 30th and 31st, we finally had our first back-to-back gains on the S&P, and I was playing with some numbers. Never in history, had, and still this way, but never in history had we gone the entire month of October without back-to-back gains. Even 2008, as terrible as that October was, we had back-to-back gains, and it took to the end of the month. But taking it a step further, John, we had a few days in September without back-to-back gains, so we actually went 28 trading days without back-to-back gains on the S&P 500, you know, a little bit at the end of September until the end of October. And those 28 days, that actually ties the longest streak since the Great Depression. So that really hammers home just how, you know, I hate to say weak or how how hard it's been just to have two days in a row up. I mean, it's really been fascinating, the market rally or the market weakness we've been seeing. So since the Great Depression, well, thank you for sharing that, Sunshine. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. But I do think it's important that we emphasize uh, to our listeners, just how unique this experience has been, and uh, I just think it's fascinating. As we've discussed several times on this on this podcast, we, the U.S., the administration, uh, decided not to fight that multi-front trade war in first second week of July, and then we saw the S and P 500 climb mm-hmm. 700 basis points. Right. Over the ensuing eight or ten weeks, as we had a degree of clarity with South Korea, a degree of clarity with Mexico, uh, Europe, and then ultimately Canada, and so now the, you know, the the one-on-one toe-to-toe trade deal really is with the U.S. and China. Um, but in spite of that, you had that gain. But October, people just I think that the underlying trend on the midterm, which we'll get into shortly clearly is weighing on sentiment. And I think that had a lot to do with it. There's a direction of interest rates. I think it's important for investors to let, realize also that uh, we're finally coming to the acknowledgement that Chair Greenspan, Chair Bernanke, Chair Yellen always acted or frequently acted as a put option on the market. And Ryan, as you know, a put option is uh, protection against loss. Mm-hmm. So anytime something really went bad, what happened? Greenspan cut rates. Exactly. Anything really went bad, Bernanke was innovative, right? Or Yellen just decided to persist with, with low interest rates. So there was always some sort of put option or floor under the market. And I think what's really making the market trying to get comfortable with Jay Powell, head of the Federal Reserve, is we no longer have that. You know, I think he's an advocate that free markets can allocate capital better than a bunch of unelected officials at at the nation's central bank. So there's a dynamic there when you think about re- interest rates. He, you know, he made those comments about the U.S. economic outlook was remarkably positive. We saw, you know, a massive steep or massive a massive steepening over a 24-hour period, 48-hour mm-hmm. right. period in the in the U.S. Treasury yield curve, which is since we've we've given that back. But the messaging from the Fed is different. When you have the messaging from the Fed different with the uncertainty of the midterm elections, with the administration going after uh, Fed Chair Powell, you know, that, that certainly, I think, is weighing on sentiment also. No, it sure is. You know, you talk about big events. So what, why did October, why did we finally have, a, the, you know, the crack with all the volatility? Well, October 3rd. I believe was when Fed Chairman uh, Powell made those comments. In October 4th, Vice President Pence had some really tough words about China. Those two things back to back, you know, was it one or the other? But those are two big highlights, I think, in October that really led to a lot of that sell-off and a lot of that volatility, both of those things hitting back to back early in the month. Great point about Pence as well, because uh, we were aggressive with China, Mm -hmm. and then we had uh, detente, and then we got aggressive again, right? And 
last week we had the president tweeting uh, about a good call with President Xi Jinping. So uh, very curious to see how that plays out. But even though last week with the strength, I think it's important to recognize, did we, you know, I'm more of a fundamentalist, you're more of a uh, technician. But if you think about advanced decline ratios, right, if you think about um, percentage of stocks at 20-day lows, are we really seeing that internal momentum, even though we had three 1% moves. You could mm-hmm. look at the dollar, you could look at copper, you could look at uh, some other cross-currency pairs. Were market internals really supportive of this fourth quarter rally that we typically see and certainly going into the seasonal strength in the first half of next year? Yeah, you know, probably not yet. I mean, you think about markets, what we tend to see are double bottoms, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you tend, you know, think about just this year, February, we had the low, then a little bit of a bounce, and we tested those lows again, I guess it was early April, late March, as we tested a 200 day moving average. So you do tend to see that. So now the seasonals are still strong. So let's be honest, we could have a bounce, Absolutely. and then maybe early next year we could have a potential kind of a go back and test things. But you mentioned the 1% uh, gains, John. I want to talk for second on this. We, we spoke about this in our weekly market commentary this week. So the S&P 500 on October 29th closed at a five-month low, and we had three straight 1% gains. I went back since 1950. That's only happened seven times, a five-month low and then three consecutive 1% gains on the S&P. Three months later, S&P's been higher every single time. So that's just near term, but I call that kind of a blast of strength, a blast of buying pressure. To have that many, that much three days in a row off a five-month low, History would say, hey, in the near term, we could see a little bit more, um, a little bit more strength here, and then maybe go back down and test those lows, uh, you know, sometime next year, early next year, potentially here. Well, that's really good data because the skeptic can say it's short covering, right? Oh, but yeah. the fundamentalist or the optimist can say that, uh, or the stoic, if we mm-hmm. want to get philosophical, uh, skeptics versus stoics, uh, the stoic could say that uh, it's deep value. Mm-hmm. Right, and if people find deep value, I guess twenty six hundred on the S and P five hundred right turned yeah. into the trampoline last week. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, we'll probably have uh, resistance if we had support there at twenty six hundred. It would appear the next resistance level would be in the twenty eight hundred type area, right? Twenty eight to twenty eight fifty. Right. We're hovering in the twenty seven twenty five at this morning's open on the S and P. So and just it'll be to very keep important it, to see. Keep it real simple. The two hundred day moving average for two and a half years on the S and P five hundred was support. We violated in October, so we could bounce back up there, and that's not too far away where we are as we're speaking right now. You know, so potentially that long term support could be near term resistance. But all in all, you know, John, you've talked about the quarters. You know, we are in the fourth quarter of a midterm. Obviously, it's um, pre election year next year, next couple quarters. Those are usually pretty strong, right? Absolutely. Let's transition to the midterms because, yes, uh, fourth quarter is uh, typically very strong, followed by the first quarter and the second quarter of uh, the ensuing year. Now, typically what happens there, midterm election years, several dynamics. Uh, I guess the most important one for long-term investors is the average drawdown uh, during midterm election years, market peak to market trough, is about 16%. Mm -hmm. We haven't sniff that yet this year. We've had three 10% corrections, and those were painful enough for many investors, uh, (laughs) the two of us included. Um, But the the real message there for investors is 12 months later, the market's up by 32% from the previous trough 12 months later. So really that speaks to the importance of long-term investing and maintaining a diversified portfolio. But specifically to the fourth quarter, uh, the markets typically meander in the first three quarters of a midterm election year because there's tremendous uncertainty, right? And markets hate uncertainty. Uh, we saw a big gain in the third quarter, ended up losing that in October, the beginning of the fourth quarter. So that's kind of a curious dynamic contrary to previous examples. But nonetheless, 
we see a big rally in the fourth quarter after the election, followed by the first six months of the following year. And a lot of that has to do with the sitting president typically loses 28 seats or so in the House. So once that uh, sitting president experiences that comeuppance for him and his party, the reaction is government spending or supply-side policies, and the market anticipates those. And that's why you tend to see really strong really strong growth in the market because the, the administration is trying to prime the pump to be reelected after having such a humbling midterm experience. You know, it's only happened every time. So it's okay, how curious. about that? If politics is <laughs> exactly. shocking, isn't it? So, so, you know, that's a dynamic I think we should pay very, very close attention to. Um, also, relative to possible outcomes. Now, uh, not only do we have strong fourth quarter and a strong first half, but you ran some numbers for us recently that showed literally since World War II, it may perhaps not further, we've literally gone from uh, the November to November, not the calendar year, but the 12 months after the midterm has been up every single time. That's correct, John. Yeah, I went back to World War II, 1946, that midterm, and I found the date of the midterms, and then I went 12 months out, and exactly 18 out of 18 times every single midterm since World War II, 1946, 12 months later, the S&P 500 was higher. Now, sure, there were some years it was barely higher, but most of those years were pretty strong returns, uh, better than average returns. And again, it's just like you said, there's uh, some some politics coming into the, into play there potentially. And again, the first half of those midterm years usually are kind of choppy and you don't see too much gains. And then sure enough, once you get the midterm uncertainty out of the way, history again says there's uh, potentially um, a good amount of uh, inertia there that can move us higher. Um, so every time well. since World War II, so that essentially guarantees that it's not going to happen this year. Now, now, that, now that the cat's out of the bag. Exactly, right? exactly. And you, know, and you talk about the midterms, that's obviously on November 6th. Um, so, you know, I guess what we're saying is 12 months from right now, um, or about now, the early November. History, early would November. Say, history would say the strength. But we talk about my daughter. My daughter's birthday is November 7th. So we got the midterms one day, then my daughter's birthday, official birthday There's is the next There's some momentum, day. something positive on which to focus. Exactly. 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 Focus on, the, on some of the fun things there. Well, good. So, Let's recap yeah. that quickly. Okay. So for our listeners, yes. uh, keep in mind that midterm election year, peak to trough, loss is 16%, ensuing 12 month. Recovery is plus 32%. And a bit higher every time as well. A, that mm-hmm. speaks to the yep. importance of diversified, remaining diversified and focusing on the long term. Secondly, fourth quarter and first two quarters are real strong, uh, typically 4 or 5% quarterly gains on average right. in those fourth quarter of the midterm year and the ensuing two quarters. Third point we want to emphasize uh, for long-term investors is the the year-over-year return from the election, 12 months, uh, positive every time since World War II. So we've we've inundated you with some magnificent stats. Now let's talk reality of 2018. There are several scenarios to consider, right? Uh, I guess the first one we should talk about is the most likely outcome, which consensus this morning continues to point to. Uh, Republicans losing control of the lower chamber, the House of Representatives, maintaining the Senate. How has that split Congress performed previously, Ryan? Well, John, let's say if that were to happen, which is consensus. First off, if we know consensus happens, hopefully don't rock the boat too much, which could be a good thing. But secondly, we know we're going to have a Republican president come um, November 7th. If you have that split Congress, though, I went back in history, 
Sure enough, that's actually the strongest return out of all the scenarios, a split Congress with a Republican president for S&P 500 returns, um, up over 16.5% approximately on average on an annualized basis. But then I kind of played, okay, that's fine, that's stocks. Let's take a look at GDP. We've got GDP data too. Sure enough, that's also the strongest GDP growth um, versus you know if the Republican in power with the Republican House and Senate or Democrat uh, Senate and House with a Republican president. Bottom line, Republican president with a split Congress, strongest stock returns, and best GDP returns on average. So that's, um, you know, we'll see if that happens, but that's that, like you said, I think it's this morning, I think I saw some numbers about 75% chance, according to the odds makers, for each, you know, Republicans taking the one and uh, Democrats keeping the other. So that's. Pretty good odds there, right? And obviously, we'll 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 give more detail at the conclusion of the exactly. election for our next podcast. But that really speaks to the market's uh, confidence or comfort level with certainty mm. or clarity. Right. If uncertainty weighs the first three quarters of the midterm election year, clearly clarity makes investors feel good, even if it's gridlock. And uh, if that were to be the case, if if the Democrats take control of the House and the Republicans maintain control of the Senate, it looks like, uh, you know, the debt ceiling debate will really escalate next year, right? So it's possible that uh, some of the corporate tax rates, for example, might be rolled back as uh, horse trading, if you will. Uh, if, if fiscal cliff worries start to ex- escalate, you know, I think we're, we're likely to see an infrastructure deal uh, in that uh, situation. I also think you're going to see the, the NAFTA 2.0 yes. uh, trade deal pass. So uh, you could also see some investigations of the administration, which could weigh on sentiment. But either way, it still looks to be about a 2.5% type GDP growth. Likely that will be a scenario that really wouldn't affect Fed policy. So we think that would basically be dollar neutral. Uh, I think the markets would be setting up for their classic post-election type rally. Uh, And it could be uh, if status quo for rates, it may continue to pressure the bond market if you're going to see increased issuance for some of the government spending. That's right. And don't forget last week, we had consumer confidence come in at the highest level since December 2000. So all these concerns and headlines, well, the consumer is still there. They're still spending. I know we're going to talk about income here maybe maybe fairly soon. I think we've got about mm-hmm. five minutes to go. Um, do you have, and do you have anything to wrap up then on midterms? Maybe we should go to the in- income soon. Yeah, absolutely. I just think that uh, you know if the Republicans were to hold on, uh, you know, you'd see more pressure on China. You're still likely to see a NAFTA passing. That would be more dollar positive, I think. Curious to see how stocks would rally. You may see small caps right. outperform large. Which they've started uh, to the last week and a half or so. Absolutely. Finally, they absolutely. underperformed historically, yeah, though. By so, about 250 you know. base mm-hmm. points over right. the last week or so. Yeah. And if, if, the, if the Democrats were to take the Senate, it appears unlikely, but, you know, polls are never right or not always right. Right. And, uh, you know, that would would certainly push the, the infrastructure play. Uh, minimum wage would be likely. Curious to see bonds might be in a position to rally on that dynamic. So uh, it'll be an exciting call next time because we'll have more clarity going forward. So uh, Well, they're all exciting. Absolutely. But even, even more exciting. Absolutely. <laughs> so, John, maybe I'll uh, tee this up for you then if that's all right. So that's sure. a great job on the uh, midterm talk, and we'll have, a lo- again, a lot more about that in our next podcast. With a few minutes to go, John, Wage growth came out last week. Remember, wages represent 70% of overall business costs. Obviously, also the Fed's dual mandate includes achieving stable prices, so that's important. Wage growth came in at 3.1% year over year, uh, again, in Friday's jobs report. Uh, so obviously, that's the highest level for, since April of 2009. Should we be concerned? I mean, higher wages sound great. You want to give me higher wages, John? I'm not going to complain. Should we? Should <laughs> should we? Should we be worried? Should investors be worried about this? Yeah, that the idea that uh, 
rising wages should be a threat to the economy really speaks to the challenge of messaging and what mm-hmm. how it is different this time because the Fed quintupled the size of its balance sheet and good news was bad news or bad news was good news. Um, I think 3.1% print on year-over-year average hourly wage growth is excellent for the economy. I think it's excellent for consumption and ultimately excellent for corporate profitability. We have to be mindful, though, the year-over-year comparison, uh, you have that hurricane uh, related data that skewed from September of 17 to October of 18. So you had more people unable to get back to work a year ago, whereas more people got back to work given the timing of the hurricanes in October of 2018. Consequently, you had more construction, you had some more emergency level workers, if you will, back to work who had higher wages. So I'm not convinced you're going to see a 3.1% print next month on a year-over-year basis. But nonetheless, we've been creeping up toward that 3% number. That is a great number. However, the fact that it could be a threat to the economy, uh, that is not our view. We believe that history doesn't necessarily repeat, but it often rhymes. And uh, certainly relative to a threatening number on wage growth, typically four or four and a half percent year-over-year wage growth is the number that scares the Fed. So the fact that we're only approaching three percent, we view that as favorable. No, that's right. Maybe one more comment from me, John, that'll let you bring us home. You look at the last three recessions, 4% was exactly right ahead of when the recession ultimately hits. We're a long way from there. Oh, good, because I just made that stat up, so <laughs> it actually go. works. Good, good. good. People always say, where do I come up with all my stats? I say, I just make them up. No one can test them anyway. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm kidding. I test them. Uh, but, you know, the big question we always get is, well, why why is wage growth still you know relatively low after a nine-year economic cycle, pretty full employment, 48-year lows in unemployment rate? Well, you know, we consider this. We have low labor force participation, globalization, and then millennials replacing baby boomers in the workforce. All three of those really, you have to say, are keeping a lid on it um, to a degree. But again, over time, it's probably going to still slowly creep up. And absolutely, to what degree is the low unemployment rate secular or is it cyclical? And Mm -hmm. you can throw money at a cyclical problem, but you can't necessarily throw money at a secular problem. To the degree that it is secular or longer term in nature, you can see the unemployment rate for high school grads significantly higher than that of college grads. So there really is something more at work here, and uh, that could perhaps be another uh, podcast in and of itself on that topic. But uh, nonetheless, to your point, low labor force participation, globalization, uh, boomers retiring, re- being replaced mm-hmm. by millennials, those are all factoring into lower wage pressures. All right. Well, John, I had a lot of fun uh, this week in our latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. Look forward to doing the next one where we're going to focus again more on midterm elections and the results. John, take it away. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. 
All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.